Is everybody awake, ready to rock and roll? Really? 8.30 crowd did better than you guys. Come on, are you ready to rock and roll? I just kind of wanted to do that. You know when you're at a concert and you hear people rev up the crowd and I don't know. I always wanted to do that. So today we are starting a new series in the book of Philippians. And um, for those of you who... uh, who got it, we were sending out a, a reading plan so that you could join us by reading a couple of scriptures a day and join with us. So we're kind of all on the same page. If you didn't get that email and would like to, just afterwards, just give me your email address. We'll put it on our, our list and we'll send it out. So, so we're all kind of on the same page. So we're going to cover one chapter a week. And this book is called the book of joy because there's, there's a lot in it that's uh, joyful. And, um, Paul, who wrote this book, is in prison when he writes this, which is just amazing when, you, when we go through this for the next couple of weeks, you're just going to see it. But I want to give you a little bit of a background on Paul in case you're not familiar with him. So Paul, he grew up as a Pharisee and he was born in the city or the town of Tarsus. And he was a Jewish leader and he was very respected. So Paul was one that carried the law, did the whole thing, and uh, When the Christians first started to show up after Jesus died, Paul was persecuting them because he hated them, because it was a new way of thinking, and he didn't agree with it. So he would chase Christians down, he would persecute them, and even when the apostle Stephen was stoned to death, Paul stood there and he watched in the Bible, and it says that he approved of it. And so Paul is here, and one day he meets God on a very powerful way. It's an awesome story where God just comes in and grabs him. And Paul becomes a Christian. And you know, there's some people in life that I think are really worth studying. That there's something about them. They live on a different plane. You know anybody like that? That they just operate differently. And and I think that they're worth studying and emulating. And I think for me, Paul's one of these guys. He's one of these guys that I, I look at and I really respect him. So today, not only do I want to look at Philippians and what's in the book, in the chapter, but I really want to take out of it and extract out of it things that I think are worth looking at about Paul, some of his characteristics. And I think Paul had all of these characteristics before he became a Christian, and and I think, when I get to heaven, I can ask, but it's like, God, did you see him and see what he had? And you just said, I'd really like to use that guy, and you chose Paul. You know, one thing I like about Paul is that he's an encourager. He's always encouraging people. And how many of you guys here have taken the growth track classes that we're putting on? Let's see. So in growth track, we do an assessment um, as part of growth track. And I think Paul's a high D. If you agree with me, I think he's a high D. You get it if you take growth track. Um, But Paul starts this letter and he's raring to go. And he's writing it and he dives right in. And I think that he was smiling when he wrote it. But remember, he's writing this from a prison cell. So we start this and we dive right in and it says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with a joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul was loving this idea that he was partnering in the gospel with the people in Philippi. And we're going to get back to this in a little bit. I want to skip ahead, and I want to get a glimpse of just how Paul worked. So the first thing, and I noticed four things about this that I'm going to share with you today, but the first thing is that Paul is super 
intentional. He never, ever lets an opportunity slip by that it didn't have a purpose behind it. So, I'll show you what I mean. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord, and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And I love this fact that Paul is so purposeful with everything that he does. He used his time in prison to actually preach the gospel. I think most of us, if we were sitting there, we'd have a little pity party about being, you know, whining about our circumstances and, and carrying on. But Paul uses every opportunity that he has to advance the kingdom of God. I mean, here's a guy when he was on a ship that was going to crash. Instead of freaking out like everybody else, he uses the opportunity to talk to them about God and they get saved. Here's a guy who was sitting in jail one time, chained down, and an earthquake comes, and it releases all the chains of all the prisoners, and they had the ability to run and be free. But Paul uses that opportunity to save the jailer. The jailer's going to commit suicide, and he's all, no, 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 we're all here. We didn't split on you. We're here. And the jailer comes to know Christ. Paul uses every opportunity. So think about this. I'm asking you guys this. To think about this about your life for a second, okay? There are things that you do every day on purpose that are intended to be a kingdom builder. There are things that because you're a Christian, you do them because that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian and you want to build the kingdom of God. But there are things also that you don't do and you've eliminated from your life sin and you don't do those because that's a kingdom builder. You don't do certain things in your life and you do do certain things. But there's certain things in the middle that oftentimes we don't see and they could be kingdom builders. So I bet if you were to step back, and if you were <clears throat> to review your life and what you do every day, how you treat people, how you handle your time, where you allow your mind to go, some of these things could become kingdom builders. So my wife Karen and I are reading this book that uh, two ladies from church here brought to us called Circle Makers, right? And I highly recommend it to get this book if you haven't read it. So Karen, my wife, doesn't really like to read books like this, so we're reading it together, and um, we read a chapter every night at dinner, and then we talk about it, and this has been a game changer for us, um, just in how you pray. And there's a cool testimony, I've got to take a side note, a little rabbit trail, but I said this at the first service, and Tony, who was playing guitar here, his wife Allie came up to me afterwards, and she goes, I read that book, he's from the book, and I'm like, who, Tony? And she's all, yeah, I prayed. It's about praying circles around something, and you pray until you get that. And she says, I prayed a circle that God would give me somebody from my work who was a Christian. And she told me the testimony of it, and, and lo and behold, Tony came out of that prayer. It's like, so cool. Can I share that with these guys? And she said, sure. So anyway, I shared it with you. But in the book, in the book, the author makes this comment that I love. He says, you can't build the reputation of God unless you're willing to lose yours. Think about that for a second. You can't build the reputation of God unless you're willing to lose yours. And Paul did exactly that. Paul had a reputation. He was feared. He was respected. But when he became a Christian, he lost that whole reputation. And he was pretty high up in the food chain, and he became nothing. But in the kingdom of God, he did. He was very intentional about everything he did. 
And I once heard a saying that the difference between good and excellence is often the difference between winning and losing. So we should strive for that excellence. And Meg and Greg aren't here today, but I want to pick on them a little bit. So when we were raising our kids and Meg and Greg were raising their kids, my wife and I used to look at them and, and we'd hear what they're doing with their kids. And they were so intentional about everything they did with their kids. And it's like, wow, we feel like total losers because we let our kids do that. And Greg and Meg don't. But they had a reason for everything that they did. And there wasn't anything in their parenting that didn't have a purpose behind it. And we took a lot of those thoughts and, into our parenting with our kids. Then instead of letting things happen, we were intentional about everything. And in The Circle Maker, the author also talks about praying prayers that are so big that they can't be answered without God moving. And Paul is willing to put prayers out there that are so big, unless God moves, they're not going to happen. So what if we were to start to be intentional about everything in our lives what if we were to put prayers out there that were bigger than we could ever do on our own that would have to have God move? It'd be like putting jet fuel in your lawnmower. It would just change everything. So be intentional. Number two thing I noticed about Paul. Paul didn't focus on the little things. He didn't sweat the small stuff. Once he discovered who God was and he found God, he found freedom by not sweating the small stuff. I'll show you what I mean. So let's read this. It says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached and because of this, I rejoice. You know, there are people that were super jealous of Paul back in the day because Paul had a, had a new following. Paul got attention. Paul was able to preach the gospel. And once he went to prison, it opened up the door for new people to kind of, hey, I'll take over and I'll start preaching. And they wanted the attention and they wanted, some were doing it out of good motives. Others were doing it because Paul's in prison. Keep him there because it gave them the chance to elevate themselves. And here's Paul going, I don't care. As long as the gospel's preached, I don't care. I'm not going to sweat it. It's not a big deal. You know, the thing is that Paul had an anointing from God, and Paul was making a difference, and he knew it. And you know, there's so much joy to be found in your life if you're making a difference. When you read Paul's letters and see all the things that happened to him, you'll find that no matter what happened to him, it didn't change how he felt. It didn't change what he did or his emotions. He had joy in the middle of a prison cell because he knew that he was making a difference. So I've kept a journal since I was seventh grade. I used to write uh, when I started. This might show how weird I am. But I wrote to a little, an imaginary character named Barney Yenrab. Yenrab is just Barney spelled backwards. This is as creative as I could get. So Barney Yenrab, I used to write to him. And as I got older, Barney disappeared, and I really started to write about my life. And in my journal, the, the best entries that I have, the most positive entries that I have, are when I was in charge, not in charge of my life, but when I was making a difference in my life. The worst entries that I have are the ones when life was just happening to me. And I don't know if you get that, but there are times in your life when you feel like, you just can't do anything. It's just happening to you, and you're just in a rut or whatever, and you're not making a difference. So I encourage you, you know, make a difference. Make a difference. We're a funny 
weird group of people, us Christians, right? But we're not supposed to be like the rest of the world. We are supposed to be different. And I get annoyed at the dumbest, stupidest stuff. I get annoyed when somebody puts a fork in the sink instead of the dishwasher because it's only 16 and a half inches away, and I've measured it. It's like, what, what, what's so hard about just opening the dishwasher and putting it in there? And we don't have a maid except me and Karen, you know, but the kids would put, do that. And it's like the stupidest things can get under our skin, can't they? You get annoyed at people for the dumbest stuff. And I think if we took some of that energy of sweating the small stuff and we started to reverse it and, and put it into something positive. You know, for example, say that you're going to gossip about somebody and you realize you're doing it. Instead of gossiping about them, why not say an encouraging word? Why not say a positive word about that person? Better yet, why not send it to them, a positive word to somebody? And if you're going to buy a cup of coffee, instead of buying your cup of coffee, buy somebody else a cup of coffee and encourage them. What if you took the time that you're going to watch TV and you call a relative or somebody who doesn't get a call very often and you talk to them? Or what if you took that time and you prayed? What if you took that nasty email that you want to rip somebody apart that feels really good when you write it and you delete it and you pray for that person instead? You know, Paul knew that as a Christian, he had a limited amount of time to get work done. Yep, work. He knew that it was work. And Bible, the Bible tells us that there's work to do. In fact, in Romans, it says that God's prepared things in advance for you to do. So this past week, I was working on my deck, and we, I'm putting up this water shield stuff. And the guy that I bought it from told me to be, be careful of it because it's super sticky. And so I was putting it up, and I got some stuck in my finger. And when I went to get it off my finger, my arm got stuck with it. And when I went to pull my arm down to pull it off my arm, it stuck to my leg. And I got shorts, and I got hairy arms, hairy legs. And I thought, this is stupid. I'm trying to roll this stuff up into a ball, and it's everything I did, it was just sticking to me. And you know, when we pick up an offense, when you decide to be offended by somebody, it's just like that. It sticks to you, and you carry it around. And as Christians, sometimes, guys, we just need to not pick up the offense at all. When you feel it coming, and you know when it's coming, when you're going to get upset about something, just go, no, I'm not. I'm not going to touch it. I'm going to let it go. You know, it would change everything if we started concentrating on the bigger picture at what's at stake. Number three, about Paul. So Paul uses hope as his fuel, hope and prayer. He refused to allow his current situation to dictate his thinking. Paul was always thinking eternally, and he brought the kingdom of God into all of his thinking because he knew that he was here to do a job. So let's look. It says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. But what do I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. 
Paul says in verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer. You know, sometimes we're so surprised that we have to suffer. And Paul said, duh. Well, he didn't, but you're going to have to suffer. It's part of the walk. And he takes suffering life as part of the role of being a Christian. And a lot of times we're surprised about it, but it's going to be part of your life. But if we step back in the middle of suffering when you're going through something, if we're to step back and look at it and say, all right, I'm going to watch how I react. I'm going to watch how I behave. And I'm, I'm going to ask God, what do you want me to learn in the middle of this? Why are, I think you'll see more why God allows it. You see, Paul was in prison because of the gospel. And because he was in prison, a lot of people were asking the question, why is he in prison? What, what's he teaching that's so different that he's actually in prison? And because of that, people were able to share, well, he's in prison because he believes this. And they were able to share the gospel. And Paul's all right on. I'm in prison. And because I'm in prison, they're sharing the gospel. And he saw the bigger picture of why he was in prison. He wasn't even doing it. People were out there telling other people about the gospel. So a lot of times, we'll go through something, and we don't realize it's an, actually an opportunity to share the gospel and to live our faith out loud. Last week, I got a call from one of my customers. I haven't talked to him in like 10 years. And he called up and he asked for something and, and we did it. And then he says, hey, is Steve there? So they said, yeah, they put me through. And I'm all, hey, Bill, how are you? And he goes, well, do you want the answer that I'm supposed to give or do you want the real answer? I said, I want the real answer. He goes, honestly, I'm, I'm super struggling. I said, why? And he said, well, a month ago, my three-year-old grandson was tragically killed in their house. And I said, oh, my gosh, what happened? And he goes, it was a, it was a horrible accident, and, um, and he was killed. And he says, and we're really super struggling with this right now. He says, my daughter and my son-in-law, it's a challenge to their faith, you know, just like why, why would God allow that? And he says, and we're praying through it. And um, he says, but last week I found out that my wife has stage 4 breast cancer. I'm like, holy cow, man. Um, I'm so sorry. And he goes, but you know what? He says, I don't know why this is happening, and I, and I don't know what's going to happen. He says, but I know that God will do something good out of this. And I'm not going to disrespect my God because I know a lot of people are watching me because I've been a Christian a long time. I've told a lot of people, and they're watching how I'm responding to this. And I'm going to use this to give my God glory. It's like, wow, you know, in the middle of that? So what's going on in your life right now? that you're having the wrong reaction to it. You know, is it because life's piling on you? Is it because you're getting squeezed? Is it because you've got health issues that are stopping you from living the life that you would live? Is your relationship falling apart? Is something going on in your life that you just go, I don't get it. How can we put God in front of all that so that we can start to see things through His eyes? You know, and can you start to praise Him in the middle of it? This is another part of this book. I got to put a plug because this book is just awesome. Circle maker, Mark Batterfield, just saying. Um, but one thing that he says in this, and I think it's an awesome thing, is we know how to pray. When things get hard, we pray. But are we real good at praising God in the middle of a storm and praise him through it? Is there something in your life that you're really praying for? Could you start praising God for it while you're in the waiting Paul says this, he says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. 
What a way to praise God to be delivered while you're sitting in the middle of a prison cell, right? He's always praising God in the storms. And praising God in the midst of things really does start to change things. So number four, fourth quality. Paul conducted himself properly. He says this. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him, since you are going through the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The first thing that stands out about this to me is that Paul says we can promote the gospel without being afraid of anything or afraid of those who oppose you. Paul knows this first time, firsthand. There's times the guy was beaten. The guy was left for dead. He was shipwrecked. Everything bad <laughs> that could happen to somebody, and then some happened to Paul. But Paul says you don't have to be afraid. We can be fearless. And you guys may have seen this acronym. I, this is kind of one of my life mottos. But it's fear. It's, you can put it up if you can, uh, Seth. It's future events appearing real. What stops us most of the time from doing something with the gospel? It's fear. It's fear that somebody's going to reject you. They're going to say something. They're going to think something about you. Whatever. It's, it's a future event appearing real. And 99% of the time, it wouldn't happen anyway. But we can be fearless and sometimes we don't look at our lives this way. It goes back to being intentional. You know, you might have heard this question. If you died today, what would people say about you at your funeral? It's a sobering question to ask that. What type of things would they be saying as they're sitting here honoring you, right? And I love the word but. The word but. Because it separates and it contrasts two things. You know, you may know somebody and you've said it yourself. You know, he was such a jerk. He was a jerk to his wife. But he got to know the Lord and everything changed. He was addicted to pornography, but he became saved. And now he's a man of God. She was awful to her kids. She never paid any attention to her kids. She, didn't, she was just ruthless. She gossiped, whatever. But... She became a Christian, and God did this work in her life. There's a but there, but the but can go the other way. And we, this is what we have to be careful of. He used to be really caring. He used to be an awesome guy, but then he got a, this job, and he got promoted, and he became all about his job, and he left his family hanging. See, it's a contrast. Some of us need to have that but in our life, and you need to put it there by changing the way that you live. It's never too late to put the gospel as your bar of excellence of how you live, even in the small things. So a couple of years ago, I was driving home from work one day, and I'm on Route 101. I'm headed towards Wallace Road, and if you're familiar with this at all, the lanes have to merge like so many places in New Hampshire, right? I spend a ton of time in my car behind a windshield each week. It's me, myself, and I, the three of us. And we talk a lot, and we sing, and we pray, and we do all these things. And so 
I'm driving, the lanes are merging, everybody's behaving like they're supposed to be, and then I see in the rearview mirror this car come flying up on the sho shoulder, goes through the light, and it's coming up pretty fast. So me, myself, and I had a conference call, and we said, me, myself, and I, this shouldn't be. We should move over to the shoulder, and we should block this car. So we did. I did. I moved over to the shoulder, and I got in the way, and this car came right up on my rear, and was on my bumper, and I started a relationship with this person. I look in the mirror. It's a young girl, late teens, early 20s. And she told me exactly what she thought of me. She said I was number one in her life. And I see, and it's like, this is awesome, you know. And I can see she's extolling how much she thinks about me. She's hitting the steering wheel, and number one, number one. And I see her yelling and stuff, and okay. So she has to get behind me because the lane's close. And we're driving, and she's right on my bumper. So me, myself, and I had another conference call and decided it would be a wise thing to prevent this. So we slowed down to 20 miles an hour. <laughs> and she now told me I was number two because she gave me two number ones. And, and banging on her steering wheel, I can see her just infuriated. And I'm thinking, all right. So I sped up. She caught up to me again. Got right on my bumper. I did it again. <laughs> slowed down to 20 on 101. And she's just on and on. I could just tell, hitting the steering wheel. I'm like number 10 now. And she did, we did this four times until I got off of my exit on 122. And she got off right behind me, right on my bumper. And I thought, oh, we live in the same neighborhood. This is cool. So she followed me and I started heading home. And all the way through the back road, she's right on my bumper. I got a block away from home and I thought, mm, all right. So I rolled down my window and I leaned out and I said, can I help you? And she proceeded to tell me a four-letter word starts with an F as a noun, an adjective, a verb, an adverb, everything. I, I was actually kind of impressed. She was so creative with this one word. She could tell me everything she thought with using one word. And I let her go for a minute, and, and I said, you know what? You have a potty mouth. Oh, my word. She went into orbit, orbit. And then I started thinking, she might have a gun. This isn't smart. It's just the two of us at a stop sign. So I took off and I lost her and I got home and I'm changing clothes and I'm kind of thinking to myself, that was fun. It was, it was, it was fun. Um, and I bet that I ruined her entire night. It's kind of sad. I ruined her entire night. And then God says to me, you ever get these moments? He says, that was really mature. Like, oh my gosh, really? He took the wind out of my sails. He goes, no, really, that, that was really mature. And don't you have a fish on your back window? I'm like, oh, that fish. I put that fish on my back window. He says, do you really think, Steve, that your behavior was exalting me? Do you really think that that's the life a Christian should live and that's the way that a Christian should behave? And I said, you know what? You're right. It's those small things in how we live sometimes. We got some of the big things mastered, but some of it's that small stuff of how we live. Are we living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? And it was very humbling to me, you know, but I thank God. It's like, you know, God, nail me with that stuff. All you want, go for it. So sometimes we just need to be prepared for that. And if we're going to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, so I want to close today to go back to where we started. And I want to read this first paragraph with you because I think this is really cool. Paul says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, you guys, we're partners. You're sitting here. We're all partners in sharing the gospel of Christ, and God knit us together to do that. But the most exciting piece to me is that once you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says that he gives you the Holy Spirit as a deposit in you to guarantee you a place in eternity with him. And I love that. I love that idea that we're doing a work together, but we're powered by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. You know, despite what you're going through, this partnership is good. And sometimes you're going to get overwhelmed. Sometimes you're going to get frustrated. Sometimes you're going to get angry. And sometimes you're just going to want to give up. And Rich Wells and Donna Wells, who used to go to Shiloh, they moved down to the villages. Everybody know the villages? I said earlier, <laughs> it's for old people. But I could live there. So, But the villages is a retirement community. Most people are retired. They live there. And they belong to a church. It's all retirees. But I love their motto. They said, if you're not dead... You're not done. We're not done. We're not going to be done until Jesus comes back. And Paul says this, So I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know what? If you're here, if you believe in Jesus Christ, God has started a work in you. And he will complete it when he comes back. How cool is that? You have a work in process. Don't give up. Don't stop. Press on. So if we're going to learn something from God's greatest people, Paul being one that I truly admire, be intentional. Be intentional about everything in your life. Don't just let life happen. Strategize. Use an opportunity for wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whatever is happening to you right now, step back. And be intentional about using that circumstance to glorify God. Number two, stop sweating the small stuff. Look at the bigger picture and stop sweating the small stuff. It's not worth it. Don't let your life be dragged down because of the small annoyances in life. Number three, use prayer and hope as your fuel each day. You know, get serious about prayer. If you've been on the edge of prayer, get serious about prayer. Read the Bible. It's filled with hope. It's filled with hope. We already know how this story ends. We know Jesus is coming back. We're in the middle of that, and we need to just be serious about prayer and hope. Pray big and praise through. Pray prayers that you know can't be answered unless God shows up. It's no fun to pray a prayer that we can do on our own. It's much more fun to pray a prayer that has to involve God or it doesn't happen. And lastly, live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Take stock of your life. Take stock of, of what we do every day and how we live and how we act and how we react. People are watching us, you know, but let the gospel be the bar of how we live. So today, I want to just close because I know that we could end today and you can go home, go to the beach, wherever you're going. And you say, you know what, actually, I should think about that. I want to just take 60 seconds and allow you to have a time with God. Because maybe God wants to tell you he wants you to press reset on an area of your life that's a little off. He wants you to just recalibrate it for a little bit. But I just want to carve out 60 seconds that you can sit and just listen. 
and just see, does God have something to say to you about press and reset? So let's just take a 60 seconds here. Heavenly Father, as we sit here in your presence right now, I pray, God, that you would just show us, show us what area of our life you would like us to tweak, to press reset, what area of your life you'd like to insert that but and show us a contrast of how we are versus how you'd like us to be, Lord. And I pray, Father, for everyone here that you would guide us when we walk out these doors Show us how to be intentional. Help us not to just let life happen and to deal with the fallout, Lord. Help us to be intentional about what we do, about what we say, to be intentional about what we don't say, about how we act, about how we encourage people, about how we spend our time. Help us to be intentional about that, Lord. Lord, help us to let go of the annoyances of life. As we leave today, the enemy is going to assume he can do the same thing he's been doing to us for years, the little tricks that work every time to throw us off track. But help today to be a different day, that when he tries it, it doesn't work this time because we've drawn a line in the sand and said, I'm not going to get annoyed by that anymore. I'm going to look at the bigger picture. He won't know what to do with that. When we have an eternal vision and we partner with you, God, the enemy doesn't know what to do with that. So I pray that you would help us to just spark us. When we feel that annoyance coming, help us to just not even pick it up, but to just let it go. God, give us the eternal perspective, things that the bigger picture, that what's truly important, that we would seek after these things, that we would follow you hard after what really matters in life, Lord. God, help us to become serious about prayer. Serious about putting things in front of you that you love to answer and that we can watch you move in an answer to a prayer that wouldn't have happened and it wouldn't have been any good in our own strength. Much better to have you. So help us to pray big, God, to put things in front of you that we can partner with you. We can partner with the church. Just help us to pray big and to move the kingdom of God into this world. And Lord, help us as we walk out of here to live a life worthy of your calling. We're not here by chance. You called us, Lord. You called each one of us in this room to be a follower of you. And we've responded, Lord. We said, yes, that's me. So help us and equip us to give us the courage, the faith, the ability, God, to walk this out until you come again, Lord. Help us to be an example, to be a light in the darkness, that there'd be no confusion when people look at us 
there'd never be a time when they'd say, oh, I didn't know they were a Christian. Help us to be a Christian outwardly, Lord, with all of our faith, to walk it out without fear, God. Equip us as we leave today. And I pray that, Lord, you would bless each one of us in our partnership with you. In your holy name we pray, amen. So I have one last request, if I could. If this next couple days, the kids are at Shine Camp, and I know Ed mentioned it, but life-changing, life-changing for these young kids. So just keep our staff in prayer, Greg and the rest of the staff that's up there with these guys and the kids. This can change lives, and it's a generation right behind us. So it's worth the investment to spend some time in prayer for these guys. Next couple days, they come back on Tuesday. It's worth it. So have a great summer day, and uh, enjoy it. We'll see you next week.